0: So come on along with me and grab hold of yourself and get ready to step out, step up and step into facing your fears, making your bold moves, and living life without apologies. Now let's get to the show. So you've done a pretty interesting thing in your life. You've been on some major stages. You've sang with the likes of Sheena Easton and Linda Lunch and all those people, Culture Club, Whitney, all those kind of people that you're like, okay, who is we're talking to today? But then you also have become known for your amazing books that put a little twist on life. And what I love about today's visitor guest, somebody I've already feel like I've bonded with, is she tells it like it is, and it doesn't feel like she's afraid to live that truth. And as all of you know, Life on Closet is about coming out of our closets, being who we're meant to be in the world, and showcasing ourselves in our most amazing, crazy crooked ways of being in the world. What I appreciate about after reading some of today's guest book, which is called Twist, and I'll let her kind of take it the rest of the way, is she, well, she came clean. And she talked about some very tough stuff in her world that could trigger most people, but she knew she had to do this and do it her way. And I always love these kind of guests. And I hope that you all will open your hearts, your minds to the things we're going to talk about, because quite honestly, Adele, Berthe, and I, we don't know where we're going today. We know we're going to have some fun. We know we're going to talk some real stuff, but more than anything, how she got here, why this book was so important to her. And Rick's going to shut the fuck up and say, let's start chatting. So um, welcome to the podcast, Adele.
1: Thanks so much, Rick. I'm really pleased to be here. I think we're going to have some today
0: We are going to have some fun. So, of course, you know, I'm sure a lot of people interview like, oh my gosh, she's done all these things with all these singers and stuff. Not to diminish that, right? That's part of your story. That's part of your truth. But I'm always curious when I get this privilege to talk to somebody like you. When you do these other pieces of art, you know, was it just because, okay, I'm going to pull all this stuff in, or did it help inform the release of this beautiful thing that's now in twist?
1: um thanks so much for um that's a good question or or way of putting it um i think you know this book has been in the works for decades because <laughs> as as you have probably read there's some really really thorny issues and events that happened uh, when i was a child you know growing up in the 60s and the 70s in america which was a very volatile time Mm-hmm. especially if you were gay i mean yep you could not come out for fear of mm-hmm. you know i mean i was beaten half to death uh yeah. when I, when it was discovered that i was with another girl in junior high school so you know it was a very very different time and um and also you know uh i i had to i it came to a point rick where i thought you know listen i i didn't go through all of this um you know that had these these issues that had to do, deal with women, how women were treated in the 50s mm-hmm. and 60s of my mother's generation and her mother's generation. Um, that really uh, informed my life and my vocation. I need needed to talk about that and tell truths about that. Yeah, what it was like to be gay, what it was like to be white in a in a black milieu, because mm-hmm. it was, uh, you know it, uh, Cleveland was a very segregated city. Yep. And I grew up uh, you know, with working class parents, an Italian immigrant. Uh, and I, my mother was her people were from Ireland. and um it was a it was a very segregated city, and white people did not commingle at all with black people. It was strict segregation. So when my family broke up, I was uh, put into a a school eventually with probably about eighty percent black girls. Which was extremely unusual for anyone white to be in a, you know, in a situation where, where they, it was the other way around. the blacks were right. in the majority. So I learned so much about about humanity and race and gender and and all of it as a kid. And it didn't really, I wasn't able to like, parse it and figure it all out, like what it meant to me. And how it, it 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 formed my becoming a person mm-hmm. and an artist until much later in life, you know? Yeah. So um, yeah, so it was a hard book to write. I have to, I have to say that it was very truthful, although yeah. I created a character to go through it all because mm-hmm. it was easier for me. It was kind of like, okay, I'm gonna put on this suit of armor, a yep. different name, and I'm gonna march through these these, you know, the war zones of, of my childhood Mm -hmm. with this armor on, and I'm going to, because I have the armor, I will be able to tell the truth. Mm -hmm. Um, and it, and it worked for me as a voice. I mean, I have a very different voice in my other books, but this voice worked for, for, you know, my childhood story.
0: That's really powerful because some people would say, well, somebody's just going to write this because this is what they went through and everything. And And I don't think a lot of people realize you don't just sit down and write a book like this. Like, okay, let's just tell, you know, okay, some people do, they're just going to do a tell all book because later, let me, let's, you know, do this and throw everybody under the bus sort of thing. I remember when I was writing my book and there were some very candid moments in there where I'm, first of all, I'm confessing that I was a serial cheater, you know, the whole time I was married, trying you know, having my little gay triss on the side and You know, looking, catching glances at guys in college and, you know, purposely going to the showers at certain times because I knew certain people would, you know, all of this was like, I'm really revealing all this.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And then I came to the moment where I'm like, there's one story I don't know if I want to talk about. I thought, well, I could hurt somebody, but it's part of the story. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And if I don't tell that part of the story, I can't make the point that I don't believe that anybody should be sexually awakened at a young age. But when that happened for me, it also informed me, oh, this all makes sense. Mm -hmm. I understand now why I looked at men the way I did and always was very fascinated with penises and anytime I could see a man half naked and all this stuff. And that was really hard to talk about. Mm -hmm. And I did it in a way that I didn't incriminate per se. I just talk about this older family member and things such as that. But even as I wrote that, I remember like... I was put right back into those moments Mm -hmm. because it made me like just literally like quiver like out of fear to some degree, but then also quiver out of excitement. Like it's happening again. I get to do this. This is, you know, and it's very triggering in many, many ways.
1: Yeah, it is. It's kind of like you re-traumatized yourself, but Mm -hmm. at the same time that you were re-traumatizing from reliving that moment, you were Mm -hmm. healing as well oh that's what happens when we when we it's, it's jean, the uh, writer jean genet the french writer um who was gay and um wrote amazing books like our lady of the flowers and the miracle mm-hmm. rose one of the m- most important quotes that i always think about when i'm writing stuff of, of the nature of what you wrote and what i'm i've just written he, he once said to escape from horror bury yourself in it and I always thought this is just so powerful, because unless we face our shadow sides, and those traumas, they'll never be healed. And, and you had said something in the intro about triggering, you know, that there there might be things in my book that are triggering to people. But I think that, you know, if we bury these things, and we don't talk about them, the sh- it, it creates a shame. Yeah. And shame is extremely toxic. You know, Mm -hmm. unless we open our wounds and give them air and tell the truth so that other people can say, oh, my God, I kind of went through something similar to, you know, we need to heal because there's just so much psychic pain that we carry with us. If we don't talk to each other and tell the truth about these things, you know, Mm -hmm. as
0: I was reading through bits and pieces of the book, one of the things that immediately came up for me was how poignant in so many ways some of the stuff you share is actually eye-opening for women today. Back to how you were treated in the 70s and 60s and you're supposed to hide and all. It's like we're going there again, God forbid, but we're kind of going in that direction, folks. So to hear that, guess what? We haven't progressed that much. Here's what was happening back then and now here in present day of course, I know that's not the point of the book, but I think it's important for us to share these things like you see, this is not a healed process yet. This is not a problem that's gone away. And the right. same thing that like when I, the reason really the reason I wrote my book was to say, OK, I wasn't the first guy to come out of the closet at 36 years old and been married for 13 years to a woman and two children. I never said, oh, I'm the only one. I'm the Messiah. Right. I wrote it more for like, hey. I'm another one of those guys. And here's kind of what my story and how I work with people to go through that. I never said I'm the only one. And this is the God uh, truth. The thing that I've heard from so many men who've read that and some women too, because it's mostly geared towards guys is at least I understand I'm not alone. And I feel like the kind of stuff you're sharing in the book is a reflection of any woman or young girl to see as in quote, twist an American girl, you're not alone. These things are still happening in present day today. So as you move through all these crazy things, I mean, you got put into reform schools, you got passed out, out of your, cast out of your family. One thing I read was like, you begin to like really push the envelope as being like, you know, right in the seventies, eighties sort of stuff. What is one of the things that you're so glad you got to experience? Because. It's made you who you are today. And I know just one thing is like, well, Rick, there's a ton of them, but something sticks out in your mind. Like, you know, without that, I don't, I don't know if I could be who I am right now.
1: This is such a fascinating question because I've had, I've thought a lot about the fact that uh, I grew up with, until I was about 11 years old for several years, my mother was a schizophrenic and Mm. she had delusions of grandeur and she... She, you know, some people today would say, "Oh, this woman was incredibly abusive." When they read the story, and she was abusive, and it was, you know, very heart wrenching to be treated badly by by a woman who couldn't really control what was happening because of mm-hmm. her mental illness. And on the other hand, though, my mother's imagination was brilliant. Like she would draw hieroglyphs and explain to me what each hieroglyph meant, and uh, wave her hands in the air and and hear invisible orchestras and mm-hmm. convince me to listen to the flutes and the violins and um, we would dance together. I mean, we had in when she was lucid and imaginative, and you know, which seemed really crazy for some people um, to watch or to be privy to. Um, it wasn't crazy to me mm-hmm. and. Women of her generation, a lot of women of her generation did uh, fall into mental illness because they, nobody cared about what they thought. Right. They were trapped. They were mm-hmm. women that were the chattel of men, housewives and mothers, and most of them, especially working class women and right. middle class women as well. And it was almost like an escape for certain women
0: mm-hmm. to go
1: into madness because it was in madness that they were able to be all they of the, wanted to be things the yes mm-hmm. that art the you know that art and history and and all of the things that felt out of reach to them or elitist to them be, became theirs right. and so one of the most things one of the things I'm most grateful for about my childhood and I know this sounds crazy but it was my mother's mm-hmm. mental illness because mm-hmm. she Her imagination, that was her legacy to me. Mm -hmm. And as an artist, it has served me very, very well. It's given me courage to do things that I, most people probably wouldn't dare, you know, to take risks Um, and to imagine, to imagine Mm -hmm. stories and songs and music and being on stages. Um, And that is what propelled me into the careers that I've enjoyed in my life.
0: I love that connection to the creativity that you've enjoyed because so many people, and this one pisses me off when I hear somebody say this, Oh, I'm not creative. I'm like, shut the fuck up. Every one of us is creative. Okay. <laughs> yeah. You may not be creative and singing backup for Whitney or something like that. Okay. You're <laughs> yeah. just setting your bars really high, but I don't think people realize that their creativity it's it's within you just you got to go play with it in your own way. And it's been a couple of years ago, I was interviewing a guest and I've been, you know, my 59 year old mind's going, come on, Rick, remember who it is, remember who it is. I'm like, it'll show up, (laughs) it'll show up about three hours from now when we're done recording this. Um, But they said, one of the things that I admire most about insanity is the creativity that it inspires.
1: Yes. Yes.
0: And I was like, whoa, that's that's a mouthful number one but when you really think about it when we are in our most vapid crazy making thought processes in our own little funky minds that's actually when we can actually do some amazing things to think about how quickly our minds start going and creating stories and all that you know i had a client once say well i i don't i don't really know how to create a different story and so i started playing with them like so let's play let's let's just start making up a story and we started batting back and forth i would say part of it said now you go and then now you go and now you go well about you know we were probably three or four exchanges into it and i changed the story to and then there was tom and he was hiding in the closet and he couldn't see his way forward because everybody would know what his truth is and then tom realized and i stopped and he kind of sat there and i'm like okay this is either going to really work or it's not, but because I'd set up the container of being creative, he suddenly started saying stuff. And no folks, his name wasn't Tom. I'm, I'm protecting the innocent here. And it was probably one of the most touching moments I ever had as a coach. Because he started creating in his mind, his pathway forward. He had not been able to see it at that point. And when he got done, I just kind of sat there and I didn't even interject. I mean, he started telling the story. He probably went on for a good two minutes and then kind of stopped and says, oh, did you want to say something more? I said, no, buddy, you've said it all. You Wonder. just laid out your path.
1: Very, yeah. And Very, I think
0: this is something that we miss mm-hmm. is how creative we can be, how much we can grow out of the insanity. I mean, I have, I've grown well beyond the narcissism <laughs> uh, in my own household of my father to see first to see it. So I'm like, I'm always beat myself up. I'm like, okay, you just were your dad. You just were your dad with what you just said there. And I think these are value little value things that we're given in our beautiful life to go, okay, let's see this.
1: Yes, exactly. Yeah.
0: As you were writing. Well, okay. So you've written two other books, right? Two, at least two, right? Two, yeah. Le- yeah. So Label and what was the first one?
1: First one was called Peter and the Wolves, and it, it's basically the the memoir that follows Twist, that follows. Mm-hmm. I wrote it first because the person I wrote it about, Peter Lochner, um, was really important to my um, development as a musician and a singer. And he died young, um, very troubled, alcoholic, drug addict, um, kind of lived that rock and roll ethos of uh, live fast, die young. Right. And um he was kind of being portrayed on the internet as this macabre rock and roll death skull. And I mm, mm-hmm. was very unhappy about the way I saw people writing about him and portraying him. And he him and I were very, very close. He was like my brother. And I decided that it was very important to me to to kind of redeem who he was, because he was an incredibly generous person. And so talented and so important to me and loved women mm, was one mm. of the first men I knew that was very uh, like supportive of women musicians, because in those, you know, in, in the mid seventies, this was right, right. before Patti Smith broke through and women didn't do rock and roll, right. you know, in, in any sense of a creative way, they didn't play instruments. I mean, you had like Susie Quattro and Fanny, Right. Those were like the only bands, you know, and then the runaways and then it just started. But Peter was the kind of guy who in Cleveland really supported women musicians and played with women musicians. And um, a little bit to his detriment when it came to the other guys in the scene, because they kind of know, oh, yeah, what are you talking about, dude? You know, these women right. can't play. Um, so it was really important for me to get that book out first. Um, and then... T- I mean, finally finished twist
0: you know uh, isn't it interesting so- how things we were kind of talking about this before we came on in my my second book and like there's a first book that comes out and then you're like okay but now let's go do this one and then suddenly you're like well that one is really this one you should have come out after this but <laughs> yeah. it's it's always interesting because I mean I came to a crossroads with frankly my dear I'm gay Like, okay, I'm kind of switching gears here. I want to start talking about bigger brand closets that everybody comes out of, regardless of what that looks like, right? But this book was already pretty much written. I was in the talks with a publisher. I'm like, well, wait, if frankly, my dear, I'm gay comes out right now. And I'm switching gears about the bigger conversations of uncloseting your life and everything. Is that going to damage me? And I'm like, well, hold on, Rick. No, because that book becomes the premise of why you're the guy to talk about uncloseting your life, right? Yes. But I was so up in my freaking little head about this. Mm. And then as soon as that one came out, those who really, I mean, there's been a lot of good people who've loved, I mean, a lot of people have loved the book. Some are like, I can't, I just can't read this. <laughs> you know, the typical, oh, I can't read another gay person telling their coming out story. Like, whatever, that's that's on you. But then a lot of straight friends read it and said, when are you gonna do the next one for us? Uh-huh. And I thought, well, that's always kind of been like the pebble in the shoe. Like, what would that look like? Mm-hmm. And I find it interesting that now that that's hopefully coming coming together this year, that I kind of am like, ooh, it could have been interesting if this book came out first. Then, frankly, my dear, I'm gay. But it wasn't supposed to be that way. It just wasn't supposed to be that way. Yeah. And then you have Why Belle Matters, which I I started reading through some of that that one just to me is such a beautiful story about women singer power i mean that's amazing
1: yeah that they had a lot that band had a lot to do with uh my own uh my own confidence coming out as a as a young gay woman because mm-hmm. they were they you know they weren't specifically queer but boy right. did they come off as queer you know i mean right. they They showed up in space suits and singing Lady Marmalade in 1970. I think it was 73. Wow. Um, But it was, they were so revolutionary and it was black women singing to black power and female power and, but glittery rock and roll, you know, and funk. I I mean, they were just all, all the things as the kids say, Mm -hmm. Uh, they they were just absolutely amazing and, and and trailblazers. And um I remember watching I went to their one of their first concerts in um in Ohio, and Nona Hendrix was chasing Sarah Dash around the stage with a belt, like a <laughs> whip. And I thought I thought I was gonna lose my mind. <laughs> I just, oh my God, you know, and the crowd was so gay. It was right, the right. first time outside of a gay bar that I had seen so many people of all queer persuasions mm. dressed mm. to the nines having the time of their lives and everybody admiring each other and vibing on each other it was it was really quite a moment in history and and you know I had I needed to pay homage to them that mm. way
0: That's so cool because sometimes those situations are what give hope To any of us in this marginalized community, it's like, okay, look, it wasn't, quote, a gay, quote, gay scene, but this is what being free. In fact, I interviewed a guy by the name of um, Colby Parker. Mm -hmm. He has been a pastor. He was a pastor in an evangelical church. and He wrote a book called Unclobbered which basically talks about how Christianity has clobbered the LGBTQ community and all the passages in the Bible that really don't exist and how to reinterpret or to actually not reinterpret, how the reinterpretation has actually hurt our community. Right, yeah. And great guy. I mean, I just really, I was kind of, this is one of those like, I don't think this guy will be on my podcast. I mean, he's ranking up there with like Lennon Doyle and all these. I'm like, who knows, right? And I'm like, stop it, Rick. If he's going to do it, he's going to do it. And one of the things that he said on the podcast, so he left his church and all this, he moved to San Diego, started a church that was very open and welcoming, affirming, all this sort of stuff. And he goes, I never forget when my wife and I and our church members showed up at Gay Pride in San Diego. We're kind of nervous because here we are, we're like, you know, a church, right? He goes, but as we stood there and he goes, and I saw all these people just these people who some were half naked and others were just like celebrating and some were covered in glitter and others were just proud to be gay parents. He goes, this is what freedom is. This is what truth is. And yet he'd never put himself in that kind of environment, but what an impact that had. And he said, I, I talked many sermons right after that about freedom and truth and being authentically yourself. And it was so, it gave me chills just talking to him at that moment. And even as I shared this story, I felt it again, because this is where I think we have impact sometimes and we don't realize it may just be telling a story about, you know, LaBelle and the girls that somebody hears that and like, Oh, I never thought that it was so hidden back in that day. Even though we, those of us who are old enough are like, yes, you couldn't talk about this stuff. You (laughs) couldn't even act possibly like that, you know, because it was just horrible. I grew, I mean, That was the beginning of my coming out was literally late sixties, early seventies. When I was like, who am I, what am I, you know? And the only model that I had was my uncle, uh, my dad's oldest brother and his friend, (laughs) his friend, his friend. And they came to all the family events. Mm -hmm. They were loved by everybody and they were talked about behind their back by everybody. And I'm just like, wait, what, what, what's going on here? And you know, I'm seven, eight years old, nine, 10 by the time we moved away from there. And I'm just like, I don't understand you. You love him, love him, love him. And, but as soon as he walks out, there's like, Oh, you know, you know, they, what they're doing together. And I'm like,
1: <laughs> so what a,
0: what a lovely way to be socialized. Right. right. And, uh, yeah. So it's such interesting. So I'm curious as you started to really tap into, cause I know part of this is talked about in your book as you really started to tap into your own queer identity, and then suddenly you're with and, you know, either writing songs or with performers, you know, like Sheena Easton and, you know, just some of the bigger names that were kinda, you know, Culture Club and, okay, Sandra Bernhardt, we know where all they are. Whitney, depending on what interpretations you want, you know, they were kind of in that same realm, but it was kinda somewhat hidden. Culture Club, a little bit different. I mean, hello, we all kind of knew. But right. how did that, you knowing who you were, start to help you feel more comfortable in your own queer skin?
1: Well, you know, it was a rocky road coming I'm sure. in the 60s and 70s to, uh, you know, realize that you you were gay, as you probably are aware. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I just kind of, i as a singer... I just kind of gravitated towards the, the gay entertainers. You know, I,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I knew, I knew, you know, we have Gator, right? Our radar Gator, And I, so yes, I would. We,
0: and we go purchase it at the store. Let's just, <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's oh an my app God, that we you put am- inside ourselves. Could you, know?
1: could you imagine the money we'd make if we.
0: Exactly. <laughs> Especially at our age, we know all the secrets from way back when we can right? tell you how to be sleuth and like, you know, sneak right? around and, you know, all yeah. this stuff. But
1: uh, a Gator app, that would yeah. be hilarious. Um, but uh, yes, yeah, so so I kind of knew. And, you know, when I was signed, I was signed to Geffen Records in God, I think it was 83 mm-hmm. and uh, nobody was out of the closet. No right. one. And I was very pressured to not be gay. Um, and up until I was signed to Chrysalis and and you know, coming out the, I mean, this was in the 80s before Ellen had ever, Ellen DeGeneres had ever come yep. out. So I was uh, I was told I had to change genders from a song I wrote about a woman to make it a hetero song about a guy. Um it was hard. It was really, really hard. And it was so different because I I came up in the punk, uh, post-punk no wave scene in New York, right. where gender was very fluid. There were gay people, there were straight people, nobody cared. We didn't care about labels at all. Right. You know, right. you if you were attracted to somebody, you slept with them. And, you know, we knew who was more gay than others, right. but right. Um, it wasn't about categories and labels. It was really about a fluidity that was very freeing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I get into the music business, you know, the commercial music business, and it's control, control, control. we got to control these women. We have to mold them to what we want them to be which was the antithesis of the freedom that women enjoyed in post punk and the wave you know so that was not <laughs> that was not going to be uh, a kind path for me you know well no any-
0: and at that time it was it was such so i i was raised seven day adventist so that's a whole, <laughs> that's a whole therapy that's session whole other
1: conversation right <laughs>
0: <clears throat> but it was so interesting to watch you know and i'm going to i'm not going to say his name but one of my best friends who was I still believe he's in the closet to this day. He's my age and I'm quite sure he's still in the closet because this is what God wants. Right. Mm -hmm. But he was just such a boy, George culture club. And, and at that time, I think much of the hiding that was happening when you look at those, you know, I'm going to use culture club as the example, but you know, even the Duran Duran's all of those was like, Oh, well, it's just, this is just the performance. This is what they do. There there's nothing there. But in reality it's like we're not we're just not going to say that this is who they really are they're not really gay they're not really queer even though it was in our world we knew that but it was almost like performative for the music and yes. the label and for everybody to kind of get that so <laughs> it was an interesting space to grow up in number one right. going okay now here's more confusing freaking signals so you're going to embrace all those people but then as a young queer, you're like, well, they're saying it's kind of cool. It's okay. But uh, don't talk about it. Don't talk about it. Don't talk about it. Yeah, it's like it.
1: everybody knew Boy George was gay. Every, you know, right. but he didn't, he didn't come out. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was, the unsp- it was always the unspoken, the unspoken. And, uh, yeah, it was kind of absurd to, to you know. And, and the same with Whitney. I mean, I met Whitney when she was with her girlfriend, Robin. Mm. Did, did I see them sleep together? Of course not. But it was no. pretty obvious, you right. know. Um, right. And the the uh, person who wrote the song uh, Love Will Save the Day, which is the song I sang on with Whitney, mm-hmm. um, I, you know, I don't want to out her if she doesn't want to be out, so I sure. won't mention her name. But, you know, we all knew what was going on. Right. But if Whitney, Whitney had have come out at that time, she knew uh, right. she would never have well
0: i mean come on let's just go there george michael wham i mean yeah you know but it was like look this is the new generation of music and look everybody's embracing it and all this sort of stuff and again it's just such the mixed signals you Mm -hmm. know Uh, i've seen this a lot i've had quite a few country music artists on who are like they're pushing the envelope in that business for sure you know they'd be Uh queer and out as a country music performer it's like we're, we're breaking the stone tablets in that area for sure oh, that's
1: so interesting you know i don't know much about that you'll have to fill me in at some point Let me yeah know.
0: it's just it's been interesting to watch i mean kenny chesney is one who's definitely more out um brandon stanisol i've had him on and talked to him and it's like it's there if you're making if you're making the moves and you're you're putting out the albums and yay it's kind of it's it almost is like back in that. 80s culture again, where you're doing good, good good, but let's not really let's not talk about this. Let's just let's let's we know it's there, but you know let's not talk about it. And I think that's why in the country music business, it, you have seen such a juxtaposition of true traditional country to the more country rock and things like that because there's a little more swag and everything you can put into that, and a little more glitz and glam in a very hardcore kind of rockabilly sort of genre, right? And so it blends, it blurs the lines. And um, I can't remember who I interviewed that said those exact words, but it was like, yeah, it's like we're blurring the lines, but let's not blur them so much that somebody gets exposed. I'm like, oh, yeah. that's interesting. Yeah. So, I mean, what I, are you most, go ahead.
1: No, I was just going to say, I'm sure it still goes on in Hollywood. And, oh, yes. You know, with a lot of people uh, that are just too, too afraid to be exposed, that it would right. affect career you
0: know well but let's be honest i mean for anyone i don't care where we live i mean yes we we're blessed to live in california where i feel like it's pretty progressive knock on wood so to speak (laughs) um but if anybody a friend of mine that i used to she used her and i used to speak on p flag panels all the time and she worked for a lot of corporate orange county companies and she had been with her wife married She wore a wedding band, but she didn't really talk about it at work. And she goes, this is my livelihood. Mm -hmm. She goes, and you know, yes, California is progressive and safe and all that sort of stuff. But if somebody decides they want to get rid of you, they'll find a way. They'll Mm -hmm. find a way, you know? And I think that's unfortunately still the world we live in. And depending on where all the craziness goes in the next couple of years with certain political parties, who knows where we'll be. But um, what do you, (laughs) what do you most want somebody to like, i hate the question like take away from the book but if if a chord was really struck with somebody what would be the thing like yes this would be the thing i'd love for some young woman or woman or guy that reads the book to like oh yeah
1: i i think it's the idea of i think a lot of people go through trauma in childhood that they don't Mm -hmm. talk about that they repress and um if one of the things I learned when I was writing the book is how important it was to find the rays of light mm. through my childhood that I was able to reach for and hang on to um, that basically saved me. And part of that was imagination and part of it was the good in people. Yep. And I, I, I would think that if the book resonates with people who have gone through similar traumas and you know trigger warning there's rape there's beatings there's uh there's you know abuse there's abandonment there's all these things and um i think courage is kind of the main the main thread that winds through the book it's it's having the courage to continue looking for the good in people and looking for those rays of light because um you know uh, there's a lot of darkness in life and we and we all face it at certain junctures in our life. But to have that courage to go on and know that those things help you see the different sides of humanity and how to um, how to transmute those things into something that is is, uh, you know, can work for you as as courage and strength. Because even when we're adults, it takes a lot of strength to live in our society. There's just so many things that that. uh, Down and into a a way of thinking that is not beneficial to us as as human beings, you know, and um, courage, courage to be authentic, courage to be yourself and to not be afraid of um, what you've gone through or be ashamed of it.
0: Mm.
1: Shame is the killer. Shame is the most toxic emotion of all,
0: really. Mm -hmm. Yeah, shame is a huge thing. And it's just so, no matter which way we turn these days, there's shame Mm -hmm. if you believe this way. There's shame if you knock somebody about guns. There's shame if you support somebody with guns. There's shame if you're this political party. You know, shame is, you know, it's just such a toxic emotion and feeling. And I feel like the more we can reduce, I mean, we both know being in the queer community that, Shame was is the basis of so much of the, the trauma that we go through and, mm-hmm. and releasing it, you know? Oh, yes, definitely. Um, but there was, um, I think it was Sarah Shulman who gave a, yeah. a um, quote about your book. And I loved what she said. And I wonder how true that still rings for you. She said, uh, Adele situates the making of a survivor rebel. Do you yeah. feel like that's who you are as a survivor rebel?
1: I do. I mean, I, I feel like, you know, it's part of my vocation to stand up for the things that I think are good and, and, you know, just, and, um, and not to judge other people, but to have discernment, mm-hmm. you know, judgment and discernment are two very different things. Yep. Um, but I, I cannot, it's kind of like that idea that if you see something, say something, right. You know, I have to talk about what I see and and um, not repress it. I think so many people were scared and still are during the Trump era of yeah. being outspoken, especially artists. I mean, so many people with big platforms who are scared to death to say anything politically, whereas yep. you know, there's just so much wrong. And the, if, you know, silence equals death as we found yep. out during the AIDS, you know, yep. Epoch and like here we are and silence will kill us if we don't Mm -hmm. speak and i I, and i feel that that's part of my vocation is i have to talk i have to well i feel
0: like that's what you do in twist is like you're 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 talking you're sharing you're showing the pathways some of them aren't pretty nothing's pretty about rape nothing's pretty about being thrown out of your home and reform school there's so much that's not pretty but again if we don't talk about this Mm -hmm then when is it going to get talked about? I actually, um, another part of my life role is I coach professional speakers on building their speaking platforms. Mm -hmm. And I have a student who is a Epstein survivor. Mm, Wow. Big thing. Now it's a tough one because it's very polarizing. Mm. She's actually having a lot of trouble being able to find places to speak because his name is so polarizing. Mm -hmm. not because you know not because he's the savior by any stretch of the freaking imagination but it's almost like people are like yeah we've heard enough we've heard enough we don't want to hear anymore so she doesn't just talk about that story she's like more about what do you do after the fact she's not about the prevention there's plenty of people who talk about preventing that stuff oh, but how do you really work with work with someone and, and support yes therapy is one thing but how do you create the culture that supports these people and don't go oh you're damaged goods right
1: right exactly and that's the whole point is that you know in twist as the kid going through it I'm questioning what is it that makes men be so cruel what mm-hmm. is it about our society? That creates this terrible racism and this, all this divisiveness and this blaming and this judgment. And why do we want, why does society want to hurt women this much and oppress mm-hmm. them? It's like, these are questions you have to talk about how cr- the cruelty uh, in order to get to the reasons behind the cruelty. Yeah. And those are the reasons we really need to to deal with, you know. It's not just exploitive, you know, talking about, oh, this rape or this beating. Mm -hmm. It's about why do people do these things and how do we talk to each other so that we can maybe stop and ease some of the cruelty, you know?
0: The cruelty definitely is there. And I think so much of the cruelty comes from, as you already alluded to, being silent. Men are told, men are told, nope you can't do this. You can't show emotion. You can't be this. You got to be this. You got more of that toxic masculinity continues. Even today. I'm not, we're not anywhere. I thought we were kind of on the road and now it seems like we're back on the road and like, no, women belong here. Men belong here. But as long as you as a, as a human being, even I'm going to go wider, but especially men, if you're told, Nope, this is how you're supposed to show up and you're less of a man, if you don't do these things, right? we have a really big problem. And you're less of a Christian if you do these things, you know, you're less of a Christian if you allow queer people to enter into your sanctuary or you have a conversation with some of them, or you, you know, let them into your home as friends. I mean, it's just, it, it's just a cascade of stuff. So I love that, that you brought that up, you know, that talking about the cruelty is such a a beautiful thing. And I think you've done that so well with your book. I know the book just came out. So yay. (laughs) um i know i can't wait to get i mean i've got a copy of it that got sent to me but i can't wait to get a copy of it and dive back into the real the real deal so um
1: thanks so much Rick. of course
0: and thank you for being here and just being your light in the world in your own way and taking everything that you've had the beautiful beautiful journey to get to experience and saying yes but there's more there's more (laughs)
1: there's always more
0: <laughs> there's always more exactly so uh well very cool so if any of you want to connect with Adele you can go to her um, website it is Adele Berte uh will probably screw this up but I'm gonna do my best a-d-e-l-e-b-e-r-t-e-i.com um, that's where you can find everything and twist is out go grab it twist an American girl and I highly encourage everyone to go read it and um, get yourself a copy. And if anybody would like a copy, I always do this with authors. Send me an email, rick at and I will get a copy of the book sent to you personally. Uh, Ooh, so I you only one. get one, people. You, you Remember, you only get to ask for a book once. So <laughs> there's the caveat. If you've already won a, a prize, you don't get a second one. But um, but anyway, I'd love to support you. And I, I'm just so glad we had this conversation and what you're putting out there into the world. So.
1: Patriots.
0: Yes, we (laughs) got to stick together every step of the way. So, thanks again so much, Adele. Really appreciate you. Thank you.
1: Thanks for
0: having me, Rick. Hey, hey, Life Uncloseted family. Another episode of Life Uncloseted has come to an end, and it is time for all of us to sashay away and go face our fears, make those bold moves, and stand up to living our life without apology. But before you do, I've got a favor to ask of you. Would you hop over to iTunes or Spotify or Podbean or wherever it is that you're listening to this and just give us a little bit of love if you like what we're doing here at Clock. Here's what it does. It helps other people find the show. It helps other people get to know what we're all about. And you just might help change life. In fact, if you really want to change a life,